We're going to be talking about the, we're going to start a series tonight, and this is a series of the parables of Jesus. So we're going to start a series, and it's going to last right up until probably, well, we're going to take two weeks right now, and then we're going to have um, the Link Conference, and then we're going to have Ken Do, and you don't want to miss that, that's on the 27th or 28th, 28th, and um, he's a apologist, which means uh, it's a fancy word for he argues with atheists for the existence and the veracity or the truthfulness of Scripture and the existence of God. And it's what we need in our society because it's one of the things we need. One of the, uh, the, the gifts that are in the body of Christ is that of an apologist. And um, it's basically a reasoning person. It's what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill. He, was, he, he debated with the philosophers of his day. And that's what Ken Do does. And he's going to be with us. And I know you think all oh, that might sound boring. It's not boring. It's awesome. And you don't want to miss that. That's going to be on the 28th. But actually, everything coming up is going to be awesome because we've got coming up here. Tonight, we're going to talk about the wheat and the tares, the parable of the tares and the wheat, the wheat and the tares. And then next week, Pastor Merle is going to be sharing. And Pastor Merle, you're going to be sharing. He's sitting right here. It's going to be the lost. No, what are you sharing on? The pearl of great price. So that's next week. That's going to be the pearl of great price. I always call him Merle the Pearl. So he's going to do the Merle, Merle the Pearl, the pearl of great price. There you go. But, uh, and then after that is Link Conference, and then we got um, Ken Do. After that, we're going to go through, we're going to end up covering all the parables in the New Testament, all the, in the Gospels, all the parables of Jesus. So why are we talking about the parables? Well, it, the, by definition, the word parable means to cast alongside. Okay, that's a very literal translation. Translation. It means to cast alongside. It, a, another way of saying that would be it is a earthly example of a spiritual truth. So that's why he says the kingdom of God is like. And what, what Jesus did is he took kingdom, spiritual kingdom truths, and he related them to, to instances that the people were very familiar with. It was an agrarian, a farming, agricultural society that they lived in, so a lot of his parables have to do with the farmer goes out to sow, and this is what happens, and he talks about things that were common to them. So I guess another way to say it would be it's a parallel truth. A parable is a parallel truth. It's a spiritual truth, but it's also an earthly natural truth. So it's parallel truth. They're both true. So Jesus spoke in parables, and he taught in parables. Now, right here in the 13th chapter of Matthew, it says in verse 34 and 35, it says, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, 
I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And that was in Psalm 78, verse 2. So isn't that, I, I, I just, when I, when I discovered that, when I read that, I was like, I came out of my office, I said, that is just so cool. That in Psalm 78, it says, I will speak in parables, I will utter truth that's been hidden. And then what does Jesus do? Speaks in parables. It's a prophecy, and it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Just by the fact that he spoke in parables, it's a fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament. So I just think that's really, really awesome. Whenever you can see a fulfilled prophecy that simple and that clear, wow, it just, it excites me. You can think, well, you're weird. Well, that's a whole other story. But the fact of the matter is it's very exciting to see prophecy fulfilled. So Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 10, it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why? And he answered and he says, Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given yet. So he's saying, Listen, you're the, you're the people of Israel. You, you know I'm sharing this stuff with you, the, the explanations of the parables but to them, it's truth that they can handle. They can handle this truth, but he, they can't handle the, the, the full truth yet. So then Matthew 13, 25, this is the one that we're going to talk about tonight. Matthew 13, 25, uh, starting with the verse 24 here, it says, <clears throat> Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now I want to stop right there. So the kingdom of heaven is like, in other words, parallel truth alert, okay? So this is true in the kingdom of heaven, but it's also true here in the earth, okay? So it's like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How, do, how then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather up the tares? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares, bind them together, and burn them. But then gather the wheat into my barn. That's the parable. So it's talking about a man who had this field and he sowed good seed. He sowed high-quality wheat seed in his field. But when it sprouted, it came up it's interesting that while, it, while, while he slept, in other words, he sowed, and then while he slept, someone else, an enemy, came and sowed tares or weeds among the wheat. And when the, the word there, among, it means they literally went through the entire field and just threw it everywhere. It wasn't just one spot they sowed tares. He threw it through the entire, interspersed within, within the entire field, there were tares. Now, it's interesting to note, 
This is, I'll give you a little, a little hint here. I was talking to my assistant, Sydney, and I was wanting to do this parable, and I said, I did a massive amount of research on this many years ago, and I think I can find my research, but I'm not sure. So the other day, I pulled up my research, and it was dated October 17, 2005. So that was uh, 17 years ago I did this research, so uh, it's kind of interesting. If you look, there's a picture right here. This is a picture of wheat. And this, so go to the next one now. And this is a picture, go, go back to the other one, if you can. There you go. This is a picture of the same field that we're about to see, but this is a picture early in the growth process, okay? So this is early in the growth process, and you cannot distinguish the wheat from the tares because a tear looks just like wheat. When it's growing early, it looks exactly like wheat, and you cannot tell the difference. Until it comes time to harvest, then go to the next one. And then, all of a sudden, you see, you notice two things. Leave this picture up, please. Two things I want to point out. When wheat gets fully mature, it grows grain in the head, it turns golden, and it bends. Do you ever notice that? Go look, look at the wheat fields. Is most of the wheat already harvested? They usually harvest that in uh, August, so it's probably already harvested. But wheat, it bows, it bends. It goes like this. It stands like this, and when it gets ripe, the weight of the grain growing in the head causes the, the head to bow, and it ends up bending over like this. You can see this in the picture. The, the wheat is bent over, but the tares do not bend over. They stand proud, and they will not bow. They stand proud. They're also not golden. But at first glance, if you look at the wheat and the tares, the, the tares actually look like they're bigger, more robust, looks like they're stronger, looks like it's even better than the wheat. But if you looked inside of the tear, the tall green ones, you know what you would find? You would find black seeds, not golden wheat. You would find black seeds, and they're called darnels. And if you eat, if you took this field right here and just harvested it and then processed it normally, ground up the grain, and ground everything up, and made flour, you would actually get sick because those little black seeds inside of the darnel, which is the tear, it's another name for tear, the black seeds cause nausea, dizziness, confusion, and even death at some, in, in some cases. The French call the tear or the darnel, they call it tipsy wheat. They literally, the French um, named or nicknamed the Darnell tipsy wheat because it makes you high. That's the deal. And so they called it tipsy wheat, and, but it's poisoned. Like most drugs, it's poison, see? But yet it looks just like wheat until it's ready to harvest. And the, Jesus said in his parable 
that at harvest time, it's very simple to pick out the tares from the wheat because now you can just go, oh, there it is. It's the big green ones. Pick them out, bind them up, and burn them because they're worthless. They'll make you sick if you eat them. But the wheat bring to my barn. So we're going to talk about this just a little bit. And why, this, why is this even in the Bible? What, what, how does this relate to us? Well, if you look at the tares and the wheat, it says that later on in the, in the chapter, Jesus said, the good seeds are the sons of God. And the bad seeds, the tares, are the son of God sons of the enemy. That's the bad seeds. And see, the first parable that Jesus talked about was the parable of the sower, and he talked about the sower sows the word and your heart is the ground. This one, the thing that the son of man, that's Jesus, sows is he sows people, and he sows people into the world. So if God wants to bless if God is blessing your life, he will send godly people into your life to bless you. He will send godly people into your life to help you and to maybe help you grow or to, to get through something. Godly people come into your life and they're sent from God. They're, they're, they're Jesus sowing the sons of God into your life. That's other Christian godly people. But when the enemy wants to wreck your life, He'll send one of his sons into your life. See, every time God wants to bless you, he sends somebody into your life, and every time the enemy wants to wreck your life, he sends somebody into your life. It's a matter of which son you're going to have in your life. And see, the, the sons of God are the wheat, and they nourish, and they bring life. But the sons of the devil, they bring nausea, confusion, sickness, and death eventually. See, so that's what he's, he's drawing a parallel between people coming into your life and God bringing people into your life and the enemy bringing people into your life. As we look at this, we got to realize that not everybody, not everyone who says, well, I believe in God, not everyone who says that is a true son of the Father. You have to just understand that. I mean, if they deny that Jesus is the Son of God, if they deny that Jesus was all God and all man, if they say, well, he was just a good man, he was just a prophet, they're not sons of the kingdom if they don't recognize that Jesus was all God and all man. He was both. He was the Son of God and he, and he is the Son of God and he was and is the Son of man. He's both. So not everybody that says, well, I believe in God, newsflash, the devil believes in God, and he at least has enough sense to tremble because he understands who God is. So when you see someone or hear of someone that has gone sideways or has maybe um, done some atrocious thing or been involved in some very sinful thing, and they may have even been a Christian leader, and you see them fall or you see them stumble publicly, if you see that, understand something. Not everybody who names the name of God is truly born again. Just understand that, right? I mean, you all realize that, right? 
Don't, don't get too freaked out if you see somebody stumble and fall. There was a, a drummer from some Christian music band uh, a few years ago, and it was all the big hubaloo. Oh, the drummer from this band, he's renounced his faith and he's renounced Christianity. And I would say to that, probably never had it, number one. Because, you know, if you've ever really had a relationship with God, you aren't going to renounce it because it's the best thing that ever happened to any of us, right? So what he probably had is he had some religion and he had some, and he had some, some success because he was a good musician and he hung around with Christian people, but eventually he saw their humanity and he said, you know what, this is garbage, I'm out of here. And he went and did his own thing. And some people were all freaked out about that. And I would say, eh, okay. He, the Bible says in 1 John 2, 2.19, it says, those that have departed from us were not of us. Those that have departed from us were not of us. So if, if, if somebody suddenly says, well, I don't believe in the first five books of the Bible anymore, I look at them and go, okay, uh, you're silly. Why would you not believe in the first five books of the Bible anymore? If somebody says, well, I don't believe Jesus really rose from the dead, I look at them and go, hmm, I'm not going to argue with you. You can believe what you want, but the Bible says he rose, so I'm going with the Bible, thanks. You can't get too freaked out if people leave or if they go off the rails, okay? Um, because we aren't following people, we're following Jesus, right? We aren't following people, we're following Jesus. And he is not going to go off the rails, okay? So, and I'm not trying to be harsh and say, ah, nuts with them, forget them. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying I can't lose my joy or my faith just because somebody decides they're going to do something foolish, Right? I mean, somebody who's a leader suddenly decides they're going to divorce their wife and run off another woman, that is just plain dumb. But you know what? I'm not going to lose my faith over that. I'm not going to say, well, how in the world? He was a man of God. Well, maybe he was, and maybe he just got taken captive by the devil, and we who are spiritual would restore him in a spirit of meekness, it says, lest you yourselves be tempted, but you don't have to lose your faith just because somebody else does something dumb, right? I mean, because that's the effect of tares. See, if a tear, if, if, if there's tares in your midst and you eat the tares, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna get confused, you're gonna get nauseous, you're gonna, you're gonna get dizzy. Why? Because they don't have the good seed in them. The tares don't have good seed. you got to take the good seed from the Word of God and only from the Word of God. I'm not trying to say, oh, anybody who sins, they're a tear and they need to be, you know, Jesus is going to, you know, gather them up and throw them in the fire, which is hell. It does say that. But the reality is sometimes we rush to judgment too quickly. Me Me too. And we'd rush to judgment too quickly. And Scripture also says that Jesus told the, the, his disciples, or he said, right here he says, Did you not sow good seed 
And he said, an enemy has done this. And they said, do you want us to go pluck them out right now? And he said, no, wait. Give them time. He's patient. He's patient, and he wants to give time for people to get right. But in the meantime, we cannot allow someone else's actions, even if they're a leader, if the biggest guy that you think hung the moon on TV, if they decide to go do something really sinful and bad and do whatever, you know what you gotta do? You gotta say, hmm, okay, we need to pray for them because they're deceived right now. It's not that, oh, everything they said was wrong. You know, there was, there was books that were written by one of the Jimmies back in the 80s, and a lot of the stuff that, that the one wrote was really, really good. Do you know what? Here's the reality. He, got, he, he did some very, very foolish, very bad things and very sinful things. He lost his ministry. He lost a lot. But you know what? The truth that he shared wasn't his truth. It was God's truth. And it's still true, no matter if he decided to go off and, and do his own thing and, and commit a, a, a heinous act or, or commit a lot of sin. It's still God's truth. So we have to look beyond people. I'm trying to, that's the point I'm trying to make tonight. We have to look beyond people and look to God. And when people around us, even people that you know and respect, if they stumble or do something that isn't right, what, what we've got to do as mature believers, we've got to pray for them, not condemn them, and also just look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because they might be a terror or they might be a brother caught in a sin. But you know what? We have to wait until the end to know which one they are. And if we pluck them out as a terror, if we say, well, they're not even saved. If we rush to judgment like that and we pluck them out as a terror, you run the risk of injuring a brother. I would rather have an insincere person faking his faith than injure a true believer who's caught in a sin. Do you get what I'm saying? I would much rather have mercy on an insincere person who's not genuine in his faith than to be harsh to a real believer who's merely been captured by the enemy and is caught in sin. Because the heart of God is to have mercy. Doesn't mean that you allow them to abuse you. I didn't say that. Doesn't mean that you allow them to steal your money or anything like that. But what I'm saying is don't rush to judgment. This is the scripture. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind, able to teach, resent, not resentful, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth, that they will come to their senses and here escape the trap of the devil, which has taken them captive to do his will. 
There's a whole bunch of people, and there's a whole bunch of shaking going on in the body of Christ right now. I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's a whole lot of shaking going on in the earth right now. I believe that Jesus is shaking the tree and getting all the dead fruit to fall off, right? He's shaking the tree. He's going, hey, we need to have a little shaking. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, there will once again be shaking and everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but we're from a kingdom that cannot be shaken. See, but in this world, there's some stuff coming down the pike. There's some shaking going on. Putin's invading Ukraine. I mean, they're trying to take over Taiwan. The world's in a mess. Financially, our whole country's in a mess. There's a lot of shaking going on right now. Lies happening everywhere. You don't know what's true. <laughs> There's no way to know what the truth is. Don't even bother turning on that stupid tube in, the, in there unless you're going to watch a preacher because everything else is a bunch of hooey. Um, so there's a whole lot of shaking going on. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So when you see things shaking and when you see things going crazy or wobbling, don't be dismayed. Just look up for your redemption draws nigh. When you see things being shaken, don't say, oh, I wonder if this Bible thing is really true. Or I wonder if Jesus is really Lord and if he's really coming back. I don't know. Don't say that. Why? Because he is coming back and he is real. And the Bible's the only true thing in this world. Everything else, it says, let God be true and every man a liar. So as we look at scripture, realize that when shaking happens, when people fall, when leaders tumble... Don't be distraught. Just realize they're either A, a tear, and that's for God to sort out, not me and you. I want to say that again. Whether they're a tear is for God to sort out, not me and you. Or they're a brother caught and being captured by the devil to do the devil's will. And that, is, that happens frequently. They get trapped in a sin, and then the devil takes them captive. It says that sin has cords, C-O-R-D-S, cords, or they're things to tie you up. When you participate in sin, it wraps its tentacles around you and takes you captive. That's why, see, me telling my kids not to run around and be promiscuous and smoke and drink and do drugs and all that, telling them not to do that is not so that they don't have fun. It's so that they don't have cords wrapped around them and become captives of the devil to do his will. Because Romans chapter 6 says, whatever you give your members to, you become a slave to that thing. When someone begins to smoke cigarettes, you eventually become a slave to that burning stick until you decide that you're going to quit, okay? When you give yourself, when someone gives themselves to pornography, they can, it wraps cords around them and then they're bound 
by that thing. You become a slave to that thing. So lest we think that every person that falls and, and gets embarrassed and gets, that gets ashamed, lest, lest we think that they're all tears. I'm bringing some balance in here. Lest we think that they're all tears, realize that many, if not most of them, are actually believers who've not been wise, who's given themselves over to some kind of sin, and that sin took them captive, and the devil has them captive to do his will. So what does it say for us as believers? What do we do? It says for us to be humble, to be kind, and to correct them. To be humble, to be kind, and to correct them, and leave the results up to God. It's not our job to say, you're not even saved. That's not your job. You don't, that's above your pay grade. You don't get to make that decision, okay? That's up to God. You can see, you can see fruit, but it's not our job nor our right to make those kind of judgments. It's interesting that in this parable, the servants tried to blame the owner for, sow, for not sowing good seed. When they said, did you not sow good seed? And the, the servants tried to blame God for sowing tares into his own field, or the owner for sowing tares in his own field. And many times that's true of people in this world. They say, well, if God's so good, why is there so much evil in the world? If God's so good, why did this happen to me? If God is good and if he's so powerful, how in the world could he have allowed my mother to die? Or how could he have allowed my child to die? Or how could he have allowed me to be attacked or robbed or whatever the malady or the offense that's happened in your life? And many times that's what we do. We blame God. Just like the servants blamed the owner. And they say, how could you allow your crops to be corrupted with these tares? And people say, God, how can you allow evil to exist in this world? Why don't you just kill the devil? Or why don't you just eliminate all those evil people? And here's the answer that Jesus, or that Jesus gave in the parable. He said, an enemy has done this. See, the enemy sows bad-intentioned people into the world to accomplish his will, and then he captures God's people at times when they participate with him. He captures them to do his will, and what we've got to realize is that whether they're one of the devil's team or one of our team that's been captured by the devil, we don't get to make that determination, but what we can do is we can be humble and we can be kind and we can correct whether they're on the other team or whether they're on our team and they're, and they're playing for the other team. You know, they, they don't understand they're on our team, but they seem like they're playing for the other team. Anybody ever met somebody like that? I'm going, dude, can you just say you're not a Christian? You'll help us more. Because the way you're acting right now is uh, not good. You know, uh, there's times when you just want to say that. But the reality is, no matter what happens in our lives and no matter what occurs the enemy's always at work sowing people to bring chaos, corruption, confusion, 
That's what the enemy does. He brings people across all of our paths to try to bring confusion, temptation, corruption, whatever it is. And what we've got to do is rely on the Holy Spirit to, to, to point out people that are from the other team, if you want to call it that, and say, ooh, avoid that person, okay? And there's some telltale signs. If they're always complaining, uh, chances are either they're from the other team or they've been captured uh, by the other team, okay? If they're always complaining about everything. Um, another one is if they're always accusing everyone of everything, uh, they're probably either playing for the other team or they are from the other team, okay? Because the, the devil is the accuser of the brethren, okay? So if, if they always are accusing and always... So that's what you've got to just realize, that there's telltale signs, okay? But our job is not to say, ooh, there's a tear. I see a tear. That's, no, don't become like that, because then you, you, you actually are, are working for the wrong, the wrong deal, too. So what we've got to realize in this whole scheme of life, I have had people that I admire, I look up to, not Pastor Dwayne, thankfully, he's one of the few. Uh, but I've had people that literally I just totally looked up to. And they were like a spiritual father to me. Just one day, I'm divorcing my wife and I'm marrying my secretary. And I'm looking at him going, huh? I, I, what? You're out of your mind, right? But that's what they did. And you gotta, that's when you have to go, okay, who do I believe in? Am I following that person or am I following Jesus? I'm following Jesus. And that, that person can do what they want, but I've got to follow Jesus, okay? And I would just say, the, that, that was, wasn't from this church. But my point is, even when you have someone that you absolutely respect that you love dearly, that you believe loves you, and then they do something just awful, totally out of character, or at least what you thought was their character. You still have to go, okay, and I gotta be humble, I gotta be kind, and I have to correct them, or like bring correction. And if they receive it, good, and if they don't, I've done my job, right? And that's the only thing we can do. We can't curse them. We can't, you know, call them names. Nothing like that, because that's not going to help, right? But all we can do is say, I follow Jesus, and I'm going to obey what Scripture says, and I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be kind, and I'm going to bring correction. If they receive it, it's up to them. It's not up to me. See, our job is to deliver the truth, not to guarantee that everybody receives the truth. Okay? Our job is to deliver the truth. So we, we be humble, we need to be kind, and then bring the truth. So kind of a, kind of a, a, a deep message on this tonight, but I, I just wanted to bring the reality. I've been doing this for 37 years, okay? And I've seen a lot of people come and a lot of people go. And I've seen leaders rise and seen leaders fall. I've had to replant seven churches. I said replant because the guy who planted it went off the rails and disqualified himself. 
Okay? Seven times I've had to do that. Me personally. I had to be the interim pastor and pick up the pieces and get lied about and talked about and been accused by the guy that was doing all the sin that I was the bad guy. And I had to, and I had to just keep my mouth shut and just be sweet and kind and bring correction. But one of those churches today is well over 1,000 people. Another one is about 800 people. Another one is about 500 people. And those churches would all be gone had we not done the right thing in those situations. But we had to be humble, be kind, and present the truth and correct. See, so not everybody is perfect. And whatever can be shaken will be shaken. And when it gets shaken all around you, I want you to remember this message and say, it's not my job to judge people. It's my job to be humble, to be kind, and bring correction. And if they receive it, they receive it. And if they don't, they don't. But I've done what I know to do. And just keep that humility on. Keep your kindness. Don't be judgmental. And you'll be fine. And you look to Jesus because ultimately, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's going to complete that good work that he's begun in you. He will see it through to completion, okay? And you don't have to get sideways just because somebody else gets sideways, okay? So you don't have to get sideways. You can stay true. You can stay on the path. You can finish the race strong, one thing I appreciate so much about Pastor Dwayne is I sat in the, in the third row back in February 10, 1985 as a brand new believer. I had gotten saved on Tuesday and I came to this church on Sunday and I sat there and I watched a very young with dark black hair, Pastor Dwayne, preach a message. I was 23 years old, now I'm 60. I was 23 years old, and I sat there in the second pew, and I looked at him, and the Holy Spirit said to me, that's your pastor, follow him. And I've been following and walking with him for 37 years. And he's a good man, and he loves God, and he loves his wife, and he's not a tear. He's a true blue wheat. And that's the fact. And that's a long time to be watched for him, 37 years. I've been watching him for 37 years. Is he perfect? No, absolutely not. I can tell you all the things he's not perfect about, but I won't. But he is a good man, and he loves Jesus, and he's called to be our pastor, and I'm really thankful for him. So let's pray. Father, we love you, and we're thankful for our church. We're thankful for Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie. We're so thankful that you placed us in this part of the body of Christ. Father, it says that, that Jesus sets members in the body as he wills. And Lord, I just thank you for those that you set in this place to grow here and to be, and to be in relationship and to, and to grow closer to you here in this place. So Father, we thank you that as we go forward and as we go finish out this week, and look forward to Sunday. We thank you, Father, that you make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. Where there's difficult situations and seemingly impossible ones, we thank you that you're the Lord of the breakthrough. 
We thank you, Father, that you are the provider for the, every need that's there. We thank you that you're the healer of sickness and disease, that you are the victory for those that are facing defeat. And Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd, the one who cares for us, that you, that you nourish, cherish, and admonish us. Father, we thank you that you are our peace in the middle of a storm. And Father, you're everything that we need is found in you. All our hope is in you. All our hope is in you, Lord. We don't look to man. We don't look to horses or chariots, as Scripture says. We don't look to man. We don't look to money or the stock market or anything else. We look to you, Father, for everything we need. In Jesus' name, amen.